Green Sense Show is sponsored by CEA Technology, providing a sustainable modular indoor growing system. Visit ceatechn.com to learn more. I'm Robert Colangelo, and this is The Green Sense Show. We bring you eco-innovations that are changing your world. We've covered climate change and sustainability from almost every angle possible over the last 10 years that the show's been on the air. And here's a new twist. What role does the arts and the humanities play in changing young hearts and minds about climate change, water conservation, and sustainability? And we have our old friend, Mike Bryson, a professor of sustainability studies at Roosevelt University, back on the show to share his thoughts on the subject. But prior to talking about that subject, we want to talk a little bit about the job market. Professor Bryson, thank you for joining us on the Greensense Show. Thank you, Robert. It's wonderful to be here. How you been since we last talked? I've been good. Uh, you know, we're uh, just finishing up week four of a new semester, and I'm meeting new students and working with colleagues and uh, going to events when my schedule permits. I was just at the Field Museum on Wednesday to hear a wonderful talk on environmental justice in Chicago uh, and um, and enjoying uh, as much as we can in the age of climate change, this unseasonably warm and mild winter weather we're having. Yes. Well, one of my first uh, jobs as an intern was at the Field Museum. It was uh, wonderful except it was always creepy walking out there after night, having to go through the, uh, the Egyptian uh, exhibit <laughs> all alone in that big museum, <laughs> but uh, wonderful, wonderful place and a real gem for Chicago. So before we get into our topic, let's talk about the uh, current economic conditions and the job market uh, facing students working in the field of sustainability. In your opinion, I know this is not your, your expertise, but you're dealing with students all the time. How is the current economic conditions impacting the sustainability job market? It's a great question. And one thing to consider is that despite the pressures of inflation and rising interest rates, we still have uh, the labor market is very strong. Um, there are uh, we have a very low unemployment rate and that. Uh, does bode well for people who are seeking sustainability positions in different parts of the economic private sector, uh, as well as potentially even the public sector, um, especially if they have some technical skills to go along with soft skills. And that might be something that that actually forms a bridge to the second part of our uh, your show today, where we talk about the arts and humanities, but um, corporations, maybe start there, both mid-sized and large corporations are quickly getting to the point where they have to be doing what is called ESG work, uh, environment, environmental and social and governmental indicators to demonstrate to their customers as well as to shareholders that they are being good stewards, responsible citizens in their communities and are engaging in good self-governance practices. And that type of 
um, endeavor that is be quickly becoming very critically important in corporate America is a place where sustainability professionals have uh, an important role because they bring expertise and knowledge, not just to the uh, environmental part of that uh, trifecta, but also the social. So that's one good example. Um, you're spot on. We did a show on ESG, and our guest was talking about BlackRock, one of the largest uh, fund managers. They have $9 trillion under management. It's more than most countries have. And uh, they taught, he talked about how they've initiated an ESG program throughout all their investments. So having a company with that magnitude of impact, uh, focusing on ESG, that really trickles down throughout corporate America. So I think you're spot on there. So what kind of jobs are available? Well, in here's an example. A recent graduate from Roosevelt uh, and when I say recent, 2021, so during the pandemic, uh, this person was actually getting her second bachelor's degree in sustainability studies. And her senior year, she was uh, assigned a mentor through our uh, undergraduate mentorship program, where we link up an undergrad student with an alum who is in many cases, a successful business person, or uh, you know, they can they can come from any walk of life, really. Um, in her case, it was her her mentor worked at Archer Daniels Midland, based in Decatur, but a global company, agribusiness company of massive scope and influence. Um, and as a person. A young person who studied sustainability as well as international studies, she ended up interning in the, the relatively new sustainability department of, of ADM. Uh, she had data analytics skills, but also of you know very much a uh, liberal arts grounded perspective on sustainability food, water, waste, uh, environmental justice, et cetera, and quickly became a go-to person while she was an unpaid intern at ADM. And her internship was about to come to an end. She made a pitch because she's this kind of go-getter person to her supervisor. We're working on these projects within ESG and sustainability that are focused on human rights, ensuring that our supply chain is abiding by human rights standards rather than human rights violations. That needs to be a, a full-time position and I could do that job. And they said, thank you, we'll take it under advisement. And then she thought, okay, well, I tried, you know, I, I had my internship and now I'm gonna move on and do something else. Well, it turned out they extended her internship by three months. And she kind of went merrily along and then they extended it another couple months. And she's like, well, this is odd, but fine. I'll ride the wave, you know, because I just got out of school and uh, I'm still looking for work. And then her supervisor, who was a the director of the sustainability department at ADM, 
which has quite a few employees in it, by the way, we're talking dozens, um, said, I'd like to talk to you. Uh, we're going to make you a job offer. And it turned out that she, the supervisor, had convinced the person up the food chain from her that my young alum, young alum suggestion was a good idea and that we should hire her. And they did. So she basically created her own job, not at a little mom and pop company or grassroots environmental organization, but I'll get to that in a second, but at ADM of all places. Well, that's the that's uh, truest definition of sustainability. She sustained herself. <laughs> she did. So now, you know, that's, that's a somewhat remarkable story, but it's not unique. I have another alum uh, from Roosevelt who came back as a returning adult student to finish her degree. She's a native Southsider from Chicago, and she created a sustainability position for herself at the Ferrara Candy Company in Chicago. It did not exist until she, working in whatever department she was in, I, I'm kind of thinking it was like a finance department, actually. She carved out her own position, and now Ferrara Candy has a sustainability department with several employees. This alum has since moved on one and now two companies later and is doing ESG and product sourcing work as a sustainability professional for her new company. Um, that's, a, that, that's another example. Well, we could talk about this for a while. I think those are great examples. Uh, uh, last question I'll ask in, in, on this topic uh, before we close it out is mm -hmm. just give us a quick thumbnail of who the big employers are in Chicago, the Midwest, and maybe nationwide when it comes to sustainability jobs. Well, telling you specific company names is probably less useful than maybe pointing out different types of companies and organizations and government entities that are hiring sustainability professionals of different sorts. One example is uh, museums. The Field Museum uh, is one of the crown jewels of Chicago. It employs a lot of people. It employs a lot of scientists and researchers. It had until about 15 years ago, zero employees who worked on sustainability, even though this is an institution dedicated to conservation and biodiversity, it seemed kind of odd, like a disconnect, but that's not atypical even still today. This particular individual, fellow by the name of Carter O'Brien. He's kind of locally well-known, so I'll use his name. Carter worked, again, in an administrative capacity, I think in accounting or something like that, but he was passionate about recycling and did that on the side uh, as, as a social activist, environmental activist. He created, along with a few other people, a recycling program. Over time, that expanded into a of museum-wide sustainability effort. And pretty soon he had created a new job at the Field Museum. So it's a similar story. He has now left the museum and recently taken a position 
in the city of Chicago's government where he uh, specifically works on waste management and recycling and composting initiatives for the city of Chicago. Uh, another government entity that has a large sustainability department is Cook County, Cook County government. Um, most municipalities as well as county governments now have environment and or sustainability departments that require people with technical expertise, but also really good communication and collaboration skills because they have to work with all kinds of different um, fellow offices and departments within, but in some cases, the general public or uh, customers or um, partners. So it, it, it does require a combination of sustainability knowledge, but also general research, communication, and people skills. Yes. And I think people are finding that uh, you get hired for your personality more these days than your technical skills. So those soft skills are becoming more and more important. Right. So we talked about large corporations. We talked about museums and nonprofits and government organizations, other uh, categories. Since you said nonprofits, I want to put a shout out to grassroots environmental uh, organizations, which may raise range in size from one person, and you're probably very familiar with many of these since you're a Chicago guy, all the way to larger organizations like Open Lands or the Sierra Club. Uh, and some of those might be regional, some of them might even be national or international, World Wildlife Fund, National Resource Defense Council, uh, I'll just use an example again, referencing a Roosevelt alum because I love our alumni and they're amazing people. Uh, Gina Ramirez, who is frequently in the news as in her role as a Southside environmental activist, got her master's in sociology from Roosevelt in 2014. And she is a, an environmental professional with uh, the National Resource Defense Council based here in Chicago. And she specifically does outreach to the urban community about environmental conservation. That's her number one day job. But she's also a um, activist and uh, board member. Can't remember her exact title because it's changed with one of the oldest and most uh, influential environmental justice grassroots organizations in the city. That's the Southeast Environmental Task Force, which is on the far south side. And that's where Ms. Ramirez resides with her family. So she also works on behalf of that organization to oppose polluting industry being relocated into an already very beleaguered and uh, poorly resourced community in Chicago, on Chicago's industrial South side. Um, that organization, Southeast Environmental Task Force, just hired a sustainability professional full-time to augment its small staff. Um, and that person um, is a 
is is an urban planner and environmental justice leader. So that's a that's a grassroots example of how the sustainability job market is um, open to people with lots of different backgrounds and skills. Well, Mike, thank you. Because so many people go to school and they can't get jobs in their field. So it's great to hear that there's so much opportunities and that people could be field generals out there by coming up with good ideas and making their own positions. So let's move on to our next topic. And I wanted to thank our sponsor, CEA Technology. Visit ceatechn.com to learn more. You recently watched an original 55-minute play entitled Without Water by Roosevelt's first-year acting students. Tell us, what was the play about? The play was a rather remarkable pastiche or collage of sketches, sometimes a monologue, but more often ensemble pieces by a group of about 12 to 15 young first-year acting students at our university. And their assignment was, you're going to write your own show. It's called devised theater. That's the official term for it. I'm kind of new to that, even though I'm a theater nerd. Devised theater. So by collaborating with their teacher and director, they came up with and did research on uh, a very general sustainability topic water come up with stuff about water with stories situations interactions um, that speak to people about water as a entity as a resource from multiple angles and perspectives and they worked on this for a month so it's pretty quick start to finish process it was a remarkable production, and I, um, I'm not sure when this will be broadcast since we're taping, but uh, this weekend at Roosevelt University, the public can go see this show uh, on Saturday night at 7.30 or Sunday at 2 p.m. Um, if you just go to Roosevelt's website, you can find ticket information. But so it is a it's a remarkable production that's really um, quite emotionally powerful. How did this play inspire you? You seem very moved by it. Mm -hmm. Well, it it inspired me for a couple of different reasons. Number one, I was supposed to have time with the students early in their development process where we were going to talk about water and sustainability. And this was at the request of their director and professor. And I was really excited about that because I'm a sustainability professor, but I'm also a theater junk, you know, a fan. I love drama. It turned out I didn't get to do it because of schedule, a scheduling snafu. And so the students did their research with zero input from me or as far as I know, any other sustainability authority. They didn't need me one iota. These are smart students. These are brilliant, creative young adults. And what they accomplished in their research and thinking about the water cycle, about water quality, water access, 
how water plays a mundane yet critical role in our daily lives absolutely blew me away. And the show was funny. It was heartwarming. It was at times uncomfortable and edgy. Uh, sometimes it was even a little sappy and sentimental. You know, they, they, they hit so many different notes. And it's rather remarkable, but also appropriate, because when you think of water, our bodies are constituted of water. We live on a watery planet. We're, 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 we're existing on the southern rim of Lake Michigan, one of the great lakes. Uh, it's water's a part of every, every bit of our lives in so many different ways. And this play in 55 minutes really powerfully communicated that reality to me. So now that you're inspired, what are you going to do with that? Well, number one, I'm trying to convince the students and the acting department at Roosevelt, don't let it die. <laughs> because that's what happens with plays, right? They get performed for a weekend and then you're done. You know, it, they don't necessarily ever get performed again at, at that particular theater. And I'm hoping that this particular play can be part of a movement to marshal the arts and humanities to tell stories about our relationship with nature, to push for climate action, to advocate for environmental justice, to argue that we need to conserve and restore our natural resources from water to soil to air. Science and policy are not enough. We have to tell good stories. We have to touch people's hearts as well as their minds. And plays are uniquely instrumental in that because the going to a live theater is just a, it's a unique experience. It's you cannot be a passive, truly passive observer in a theater production, I don't think. Well, I heard an old uh, saying a long time ago. It said that uh, students aren't vessels to be filled with ret rhetoric, but candles to be lit with inspiration. So having all these new techniques to really uh, foster passion in kids and let them you know, dig into it and learn sounds like a great uh, formula for success. Um, anything I else you'd like to say the, in closing? What you said, Robert, was beautiful about lighting that candle and letting students have their creativity burn bright because um, honestly, without our young generation catching fire, if you will, and um, burning down barriers to environmental progress, and sustainability, we're not going to get there. The generation that you and I are in and the generation that's a little bit older than us, both of which are pretty much running the show, are not doing a good job right now. And we are leaving this young generation, the Gen Z, the Gen Zers, with a huge weight of responsibility and frankly, a pretty bleak future outlook of rising temperatures and more frequent and more intense storms and um, biodiversity loss, it's ugly. This generation, however, can help us 
not only move to action, but create a sense of hope and direction. Um, and I, I, they're going to do it through science. They're going to do it through activism, but they can also do it through the arts and telling stories. So I, I really applaud these students and um, young people everywhere who are working hard to make the world a better place. Mike, I always enjoy our discussions and thank you for being on Green Sense Show. And I look forward to having you back in a couple of months. Thank you, Robert. I'll, I'll be here. That's Mike Bryson, Professor of Sustainability Studies at Roosevelt University, sharing his thoughts on how the arts and humanities can inspire hearts and minds to have hope about our sustainability challenges. Green Sense Show is sponsored by CEA Technology. Visit ceatechn.com to learn more. Visit the greensenseshow.com website to learn more about sponsorship. I'm Robert Colangelo. Thank you for listening to Green Sense and check out the Green Sense Minute every Thursday and Saturday at 105.9 FM, WBBM, Chicago. Green Sense Show is sponsored by CEA Technology, providing a sustainable modular indoor growing system. Visit ceatechn.com to learn more.